cartoon from Winnie the Pooh comic strip shows Pooh Bear walking along the riverbank while Eeyore, the stuffed donkey, is floating downstream on his back. And Pooh says, Did you fall into the river, Eeyore? And Eeyore says, Silly of me, wasn't it? And Pooh says, Is the river uncomfortable this morning? And Eeyore replies, Well, yes. The dampness, you know. Pooh, you really ought to be more careful. Eeyore, thanks for the advice. Pooh, I think you're sinking. Eeyore, Pooh, if it's not too much trouble, would you mind rescuing me? And Eeyore, as he's being pulled from the river, I'm sorry to be such a bother. And Pooh, don't be silly, Eeyore. You should have said something sooner. I just wonder, could that cartoon be a picture of our lives? We see others who are in need. We sometimes even engage in conversation with them about their suffering. Perhaps we even go as far as offering our help. You know, call me if you need me. But we know that call will never come. Why? Because surprisingly, people are reluctant to ask for help. Even drowning people, like Eeyore. And more surprisingly, like Pooh, we are reluctant to get involved unless it's absolutely necessary to do so. And then we say, you should have said something sooner. This morning our sermon series, Stories That Change the World, brings us to the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. This well-known story is just as fresh and practical in its application today as it was when Jesus first told it nearly 2,000 years ago now. Let's begin by looking at the Scripture together. Now before we work our way verse by verse through today's text, let's stop and ask the Lord to speak to us clearly today. Would you pray with me? Master Teacher, Jesus, once again we are sitting at Your feet, ready to listen and to learn. And we pray that You would open our eyes so we would see, open our ears so we would hear, open our minds that we would understand, open our hearts that we would receive the truth, the seed to plant it there that it would grow in us and produce the fruit that You intend for it to produce in our lives. May we learn this morning from this simple story. Teach us, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Your precious name, Amen. Now as we work our way through Luke 10 verses 25 through 37. Notice that these 13 verses naturally divide themselves into a series of three questions and answers. Question and answer number one is found in verses 25 through 28. Follow along in your Bible. 
Luke chapter 10, we pick it up with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. And so this expert in the law, a Jewish theologian, wanted to test Jesus. We must assume that this meant he intended to trap Jesus that his motive was, in fact, malicious. He wanted to back Jesus into a corner to get him to say or do something that could be challenged. And so his question was, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, quite frankly, folks, I can't think of any question we could ever ask on the face of this earth that's more important than that question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And notice that rather than answering the question directly, Jesus answered the question with a question, something He quite often did during His ministry. And He asked, what is written in the law? How do you read it? That put the responsibility, you see, squarely back on the expert's shoulders. And He then replied from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, "...love the Lord your God..." with all your heart. And then from Leviticus 19 and verse 8, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus commends this Jewish leader's answer. Verse 28, He says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That brings us then to question and answer number two. We pick it up at verse 29. Follow along in your Bible. But he, this expert, wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so the same expert in the law asks Jesus a second question. Who is my neighbor? Notice the Bible says he asked this question to justify himself. In what way? G. Campbell Morgan wrote, He did not ask any question about the first commandment, love the Lord your God. He only asked about the second, love your neighbor. There was no question to him as to who God was. But there was a chance of backing out of this difficulty by trying to find out who his neighbor was. Do not forget that this lawyer belonged to the teachers and rulers who said that no Gentile was a neighbor. Neighborliness belonged within the covenant people. That was the distinct teaching. Was there any lurking suspicion in his own soul that something was wrong? Who is my neighbor? 
Luke tells us very carefully that he said this to justify himself. To justify himself with whom? With the crowds that were standing around? I do not believe it. With whom? With his own conscience. He was dodging an issue. And so the second question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered this question with a story. Now, technically speaking, I want you to notice here that this does not say that it is a parable. In fact, it could have been a true story. However, it's certainly in parabolic form. It's an everyday story with a deeper spiritual lesson that we can learn from it. In verse 30, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho, in fact, is about 17 miles to the north of Jerusalem. But it is literally down because depending upon where you are in Jerusalem, which is between 2,400 and 3,800 feet above sea level, Jericho is some 1,100 feet below sea level. Quite a bit further down. Verse 30 continues, When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very narrow, treacherous road with a deep wadi or gorge. It was seldom traveled alone, in fact, because bands of thieves would be known to lie in wait to attack gullible individuals. In fact, this road was actually given the nickname the Pass of Blood because so many frequent robberies and murders took place there. Verse 31 says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Now we would think that this holy man would have stopped to help, but no, he just passed by on the other side. And verse 32 says, so to a Levite. Again, we would think that this temple servant would have offered some aid to this desperate man, but no, he too passed by on the other side. And then verse 33 tells us, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Please understand, out of the three, this is the one person that the Jewish expert in the law, not to mention all of the other people in Jesus' immediate audience, would have assumed would not have stopped to help this man. See, if when Jesus had just been asked, you know, who is my neighbor, Jesus had skipped the story and had just said, well, Samaritan, he's your neighbor. <laughs> Everybody would have laughed. <laughs> they would have scoffed. <clears throat> After all, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were part Jew and part Gentile. In the teacher of the law's eyes, in the Jewish eyes, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, were the epitome of unneighborliness, if you will. And yet it was Him. And not the priest, and not the Levite, who met this man's needs according to verses 34 and 35. Which leads us then to question and answer number three. Look at verses 36 and 37. Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go, and do likewise. 
See, Jesus got to the moral of the story with his question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Kind of like, you know, was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? (laughs) Now, the obvious answer, of course, is the Samaritan. And that's what the expert in the law had to admit, at least in some part way. In verse 37, notice how he responds. He says, the one who had mercy on him. He could not bring himself to say the words, the Samaritan. Just couldn't do it. And then Jesus drives home his point for this Jewish leader his larger audience, and even for us today, at the end of verse 37. In fact, read this out loud with me. Go and do likewise. That's it. Go and do likewise. In other words, loving your neighbor means acting and being just like this good Samaritan. Well, let's look at the Scripture now. What lessons can we learn? from our study together. Well, if Jesus' lesson here is go and do likewise, then let's focus on two lessons with regard to neighbor love today. Beginning with the priority of neighbor love. Why should we go and do likewise? Why should we love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, from today's text, let me suggest three reasons why neighbor love must be a priority in our lives. Number one, because of divine command. Because of divine command. I mean, just to put it bluntly, Jesus commanded us, go and do likewise. Therefore, we should go and do likewise, right? I mean, as Christ followers, that should really be enough. Jesus said it, so I'm going to do it. On another occasion in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then notice Jesus concludes, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Wow. I mean, all of this... <laughs> is summed up in love God and love others. That makes loving our neighbors pretty high priority in God's eyes. In Romans 13, verses 9 and 10, it says, let's read it out loud together. In the law, there are many commands such as be faithful in marriage, do not murder, do not steal, Do not want what belongs to others. But all these are summed up in the command that says, Love others as much as you love yourself. No one who loves others will harm them. So love is all that the law demands. Love is all the law demands. Later in Galatians 5 and verse 14, Paul wrote, The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If we learn to love, love God, love our neighbor. If we truly put the practice of the law of love to work in our lives, all the other stuff lines up. The priority of neighbor love. Why should we love our neighbors ourselves first? Because of divine command. Number two, because of the pressing need. Because of the pressing need. Just like the good Samaritan who encountered this man who was robbed, beaten, stripped, and left half dead. So we too encounter people each and every day who are in need. Those who have physical needs, food, clothing, shelter, along with those who are sick, those who are in prison, those who have emotional needs, worry, stress, sorrow, loneliness, discouragement, depression, those who have spiritual needs, unbelievers who need the Lord, or believers who have become prodigals who need to come home, or who are going through trial or some kind of testing in their faith. And the point I'm trying to make is simply this. As we travel along life's road, the needs are pressing all around us each and every day. We need to just pray that God would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the needs of those around us. The priority of neighbor love. Why should we love our neighbors as ourselves? Second, because of the pressing need. And number three, because others are passing by. Because others are passing by, just like the priests and Levite who passed by, so people are ignoring and neglecting the needs of others who are around them. And we have all kinds of excuses, don't we? We're too busy. We're too afraid to get involved. We're concerned that someone might take advantage of us. And besides, we kind of thought somebody else might do it. Come on. Kind of reminds me of that story I heard about the guy named Joe Everybody and Sally Somebody and Peter Anybody and Helen Nobody. You ever met those four people? They're in every church, by the way. Because you see, it seems that everybody thought that somebody would do something about the need and anybody could have, but guess who did? Nobody. (laughs) And that's the story of the church. In fact, that's the story of everyday life. The truth is, everybody should do something and somebody ought to do something and anybody could do something, but nobody does something. We need to change that trend. We must not be like the priest or the Levite in our story today. While others may be passing by, we must be the Good Samaritan. We must love our neighbors as ourselves. The priority of neighbor love. Why should we love our neighbors as ourselves? Because others are passing by. Which leads us to the second main thought with regard to neighbor love today, and that's the practice of neighbor love. How? Now this is critical, don't miss this. The expert in the law's problem in today's text was not that he didn't know the law of neighbor love. It was that he didn't practice the law of neighbor love. 
You with me? This Jewish leader knew all about this law. Remember, he was the one who answered Jesus' question and confirmed that this is the bottom line of what we are supposed to do. He knew the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. His problem came down to the everyday practical application of this principle of neighbor love. Doing it. Fleshing it out. Living it. Obeying it. So let's talk about Practicing neighbor love. How to go and do likewise. And let me suggest three practical ways we can love our neighbors as ourselves. Number one, by feeling compassion for others. I think this is where it starts. By feeling compassion for others. Notice the very first response of the Samaritan in verse 33. It says, when he saw him, he took pity on him. That word, by the way, pity there in the Greek, is a very, very strong word. It speaks of a deeply moving and soul-stirring emotion that senses and understands what the other person is going through, that empathizes with the other person's circumstance, that walks in another person's shoes, that identifies with what that person is in fact experiencing. And that's where neighbor love begins, you see. Being profoundly moved with heartfelt compassion for someone else. I mean, think about it with me. How many times during Jesus' life and ministry was his initial response to an individual or to a group of individuals one of compassion? He taught with compassion. He fed multitudes with compassion. He cast out demons with compassion. He healed the sick and injured with compassion. He raised the dead with compassion. Jesus' practical ministry was ignited by His compassion for other people. Could the same be said of us? Like Jesus, like the Good Samaritan, is our first response always one of Compassion? Stories told of an artist who was commissioned to paint a mural of a dying church. And he would not allow anyone to see what he was painting while the work was in progress. When the mural was finally unveiled, gasp of shock could be heard throughout the audience because what he had painted was a very beautiful church building A building with the finest architecture, a building with stained glass windows, a building appointed with the finest furniture, a building obviously decorated by a professional interior decorator. And in the mural, the view was from the foyer through the open doors into a sanctuary that was packed with people. Everything seemed, in fact, so perfect with the mural that those who commissioned the painter cried out, How is this the picture of a dying church? And the painter said, Look more carefully. And so they did. And sure enough, over in the corner of the painting, in what would be the lobby or the foyer of the church, was an ornate box with the words on it, for the needy. And over the slot that was designed to receive donations was a cobweb. That's it. 
That was the artist's depiction of a dying church. And I think he might have been right on target. When we have lost our heartfelt compassion for those in need, when we are no longer deeply moved by another person's hurt and pain, when we have no soul-stirring emotion for someone's struggles, we're dying. Feeling compassion for others. That's where the practice of neighbor love begins. The Good Samaritan had it. Jesus had it. How can we get it? Paul instructs us in Colossians 3 and verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion. Isn't that interesting? Clothe yourselves with... How do we do that? How do we clothe ourselves with compassion? Well, here's a good place to be in. Ask God. In fact, here's a prayer that I think we all can pray that I guarantee God will answer. God, please help me to see others through Your eyes of compassion. You pray that prayer, I bet He will answer it. If we pray this prayer at the beginning of every day and throughout the day as we deal with people, God will open our eyes and we'll begin to see people as we've never seen them before because we will begin to see them as God sees them and we will then be moved deeply with compassion for their need. And so the practice of neighbor love begins by feeling compassion. Number two, by meeting the needs of others. By meeting the needs of others. Notice that after feeling compassion, the next response of the Good Samaritan is found in verse 34. Look at it there in your Bible. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Do you notice the verbs, by the way, in that verse? Look at them again. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Six verbs in one verse. All describing how the Samaritan met the needs of this man. You see, we must begin by feeling compassion for others, but I can't stop there. The feeling must lead to actions. Our compassion must get to work. Look at these Scriptures with me. James 2. Verses 15 and 16. Let's read this one out loud together. If you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? (laughs) 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18 puts it this way. If someone who is supposed to be a Christian has money enough to live well and sees a brother in need and won't help him, how can God's love be within him? Let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Simply put, don't just talk it, walk it. Don't just know it, show it. And by the way, could I just say right here, don't wait until someone asks for help. Let's not be like Pooh Bear walking along the riverbank staring at Eeyore as he's sinking and saying, you should have asked me sooner. 
No. If we see a need, let's just meet it. Let's be the ones who take the initiative ourselves. Let's respond by taking the first step and to reach out to others, not waiting to be asked. Let's take action immediately. As we see a need, let's become involved right then and right there in that person's need. So the practice of neighbor love means meeting the needs of others. Number three, we practice neighbor love by sacrificing for others. By sacrificing for others. Notice that after feeling compassion and meeting the needs of the man, the next response of the Good Samaritan is recorded in verse 35 where it tells us the next day, He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I mean, he'd already given his time, his oil and wine, his donkey, a night's lodging, but now he sacrifices two denarii. That's the equivalent of two days' wages, by the way. And he tells the innkeeper to put any further charges beyond that on his personal tab and when he returns to town, he'll repay him in full. I mean, talk about generosity. You see, this parable reminds us that there are three different kinds of people in life. First of all, there's the takers. The takers. Symbolized by the robbers, the thieves here. Verse 30. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. A lot of people live their lives that way. And then there's the keepers, where I think the majority of us are. Can I just be honest? Symbolized by the priest and the Levite in verses 31 and 32. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. And then there are the givers. The Samaritan. What's mine is yours. And I'm going to give it. Now obviously as Christ followers, we're called to be the third, the givers. What's mine is yours and I'm going to give it. And the lesson here is this. Neighbor love costs something. Sometimes it's incredibly inconvenient to love our neighbors. Sometimes loving others is an interruption to our already overly busy schedule. Sometimes we have to give up something we wanted to do in order to do something for someone that we didn't want to do. Sometimes we have to dig deep into our wallet or our purse and actually spend some money if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because loving others means sacrificing for others. The Apostle John put it this way. 1 John 3, verse 16. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed His life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for others and not just be out for ourselves. Enough said. The practice of neighbor love means sacrificing for others. Stories that change the world. This morning we've taken a closer look at Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. This expert in the law 
tries to test Jesus, tries to trick Him into saying or doing something that's questionable. But I think it's kind of interesting. Did you notice how Jesus actually turned this question around? I mean, the man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? But Jesus turns it around and asks Him, to whom are you being a neighbor? And really, folks, that's the question today for us. To whom are you being a neighbor? To whom are you demonstrating neighbor love? Because you see, the bottom line here, don't miss this, bottom line here is go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, thank You for once again teaching us this morning. (laughs) Your Word is so awesome. It's so full of so many principles to apply to our lives. This one's a tough one. Learning how to be a neighbor. Learning how to love others as we love ourselves. Thank You for this story, Jesus, that You told to show us how that's done. I pray that we'd be good Samaritans. That we would cross all the lines that sometimes we think exist in life from people who are different than we are. That we would see people as You see them with eyes full of compassion. That our hearts would be deeply moved for those who are hurting and in need. That we wouldn't just feel for them, but that we would act upon those feelings, that compassion as You acted, Lord, as the Good Samaritan acted. And that we would be willing to sacrifice our time, our energy, our resources to love others. For that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.